Hello, I'm Chelsea, and welcome to This is Hard to Say. I'm here to talk about topics that are hard to say, which was originally birthed in 2020 from my lifelong eating disorder. I would love to educate people on disordered eating and also create a platform for us to talk about hard things like trauma, childhood, even simple interactions in our day-to-day life, joy, art. So this really is for all humans. And with that, we'll get going. In 2020, I started this project and it took me almost three full years to actually launch it. It's April of 2023 now, and two months ago during Eating Disorder Awareness Week, I finally launched this project. So on this wild ride we call life, I've found that most experiences I encounter are hard to say. So I'd love you to join me as I navigate the vulnerabilities of what it means to share these experiences and hardship and also joy, because this has been my alchemy, turning this into a project where I share with the world my stories, the things I encounter, and alchemize them. So in May of 2020, I found myself on my deathbed with an eating disorder. And at the time, I didn't actually actually know, or maybe I knew on some level, but I didn't know deep in my soul that it was an eating disorder. I came down with a fever and it was also shortly after COVID. And so at the time I didn't know whether maybe I have COVID and I don't know what this is like. I mean, at the time, none of us knew what it was. On day four of fighting this terrible fever, I had at a point where I couldn't move a muscle in my body. So I called a friend. It was a Tuesday morning, early in the morning, probably 7 a.m. And I had my friend take me to the ER. The second I walked into the ER, they immediately hooked me up. I was pretty delirious at the time. I had been fighting a fever for four days at that point, unable to really eat or even keep, you know, fluids up. And they hooked me up, immediately hooking my heart up, putting IV drips in me. And I just remember thinking, wow, my body's shutting down. And I looked at the nurse and I said, what's happening? And she said, well, your heart's struggling and your kidneys are starting to fail you. Um, We have to do everything we can to get you stable and then we'll go from there. So at that point, they were just trying to figure out, okay, what's wrong with what's wrong with this girl? Like she came in, she's depleted of everything. I mean, at that point, they did a quick blood draw. They found I was depleted in potassium, iron, albumin, uh, calcium. And if you don't already know about the potassium levels in our body, they pretty much run your heart and make everything work properly. So it's really important to have those balances. So at that point, that's why my heart was having such a hard time. About five or six hours into this experience, I'm still in the ER part of the hospital here in Santa Barbara, California. Um, And they had, I mean, my joints had even swollen to such a degree where I couldn't even bend my knee. And so they had pulled fluid out of my knee to find, okay, well, maybe she's got like a joint infection, but that wasn't it. I had just been prodded and poked and, you know, six hours in, I still had a high fever. So they admitted me and basically over the course of this week in the hospital, they did every test they possibly could from, you know, putting a tube down my throat to test my uh, stomach lining to see if, okay, maybe she's not able to take food in and uh, absorb nutrients um, to <laughs> just every every test under the book. And then they also had given me so many IV drugs 
drips. I had an iron drip, a potassium drip, a calcium drip. And then on top of it, trying to eat food with a fever. Um, So it was quite a week. And I remember on, it was day three or four, my brother is a nurse up in Santa Cruz. And he had been in contact with the doctors at the hospital. And he was also, you know, calling me as much as he could to figure out, you know, what's going on with her as well. And when he got my lab results, his first thing to me was, Chelsea, you're malnourished. Do you know what that means? And it was the first time anyone had ever confronted me with with that thought. I knew something was wrong, obviously, and I knew it wasn't just an illness or a virus. Um, They knew that at the same time. But I still was just in the denial because when you're malnourished, your brain doesn't work properly. You can't think straight. You're so used to the way things are that you can't really step out of your reality. So I, I sat with that and I thought, wow, he's probably not wrong. I mean, I didn't really eat. And when you, we added the stressors of the start of COVID, and I had some of my own personal stressors where I was living and what was going on with work, and I had just had a bunch of clients drop me as a graphic designer, and, and that was really out of their own fear and projection looking into, okay, we're entering in a, into a p- pandemic, we're not going to spend money. And so I was under my own level of stress, and that created more of a dip in my own health. I had gotten to a point where I was, you know, jogging every day, this massive trail, and then maybe having like a couple pieces of salami and and like a coffee. It was bad. With my brother confronting me with that, I started to really think, okay, you need to be honest with yourself. What is actually going on here? And I immediately knew like he's on to something. So when the doctor came in, well, they have, um, you know, intern doctors or doctors that are basically getting their hours uh, or residency. And he had come in and he was a really, you could tell he was very like by the book, like every test, um, a science only, (laughs) this is what we're doing. And if you're any familiar, if you're familiar at all with the DSM or like how Western allopathic um, medicine looks at eating disorders, they kind of only have two camps. It's um, anorexia nervosa or bulimia. They're either like, okay, well, you either look anorexic, you look like your skin and bones, or we, we heard and know that you're binging and then getting rid of it later and purging. And there's not really the gray area, but in eating disorders or disordered eating, I, I think disordered eating makes a little bit more sense because people can be um, really in a gray area with it. But there's such a range. There's such a spectrum. It could be something really basic as I'm going to eat healthy all week long and then binge on the weekend and give myself the ability to eat whatever I want on the weekend. That is a little disordered to think like that. When the doctor came back in to the hospital, I'm still in a position where my potassium also play a part in how your nerves work in your body. And so I was just in a lot of pain. Like all of my nerve endings in my whole body were just zinging and it was painful to move. So I was still kind of like totally laid up. He came in and and I, I asked him, I said, you know, I think this is a bigger problem than a virus or some unseen thing that you think you're going to find. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, 
um, my brother brought up that I'm malnourished. And he grabbed his face around his cheeks and he said, well, you know, you don't you don't look sunken in enough to me to have a problem. And I in that moment, I knew that I just needed to finish my time in the hospital and find outside means to get help. Uh, Fast forward, I get out of the hospital and um, I have a really good friend that took me in and had me stay at their house and helped me recover in an amazing way. But it really, I think I was there for maybe like a month and a half to two months. And the place I was living was kind of remote up the mountain. And I knew that I needed to be in town, not so remote around um, people. And at the time they had sent me to the rehab hospital Um, three times a week, I was in the pool and just doing basic rehab stuff because I had actually lost a lot in that whole hospitalization. And my body had deteriorated to a point where I just wasn't functioning as well as I could have been. My, um, my joints weren't working properly. My nervous system was still not back to back in working order. And so they had sent me to the rehab hospital three times a week to get, uh, like, well, it was, it was, I would say it was more than physical rehab. It was, they did a lot mentally for me as well. But the point was, is that I knew I needed to be closer. So I found a place um, and the transition into living alone was pretty hard. Going from staying in a, at a house where people were, you know, helping me eat meals and um, teaching me what it's like to like think about your future self. Like, hey, I'm going to be gone for four hours, so I'm going to take a snack or <laughs> I'm going to eat um, a little bit more because I have like a, a little bit more energy to use. Um, I had never really thought like that. I had been in, in this scarcity mindset because disordered eating, scarcity comes along with it. And the mindset of I need to buy all the food, but I'm never going to touch it. And it, I mean, I'm going to get into more of that in later episodes, but I moved into this house and that was a pretty tough transition. I I was struggling. I was still, I felt a lot of uh, confusion, brain fog, like emptiness, depression, anxiety. Like those are pretty heightened when you're not eating. And then it just like skyrockets the less nutrients you have in your body and the more depleted you become. And so I was still in that space of just not really functioning properly. Um, My dog was getting old. I knew he was passing away soon. And so I was trying to spend time with my dog and like, how do I get better? And I didn't really know where to turn. And, And I knew that the recovery hospitals for eating disorders, a majority of them are still pretty restrictive and controlling. And if you know anything about eating disorders, you want to avoid restriction and avoid control. Um, you want to move into more of like a abundance, freedom, wealth, health, like in your mind, like in your body. And so I, I felt kind of turned off by that direction. And one morning I was just feeling terrible. I was, I was, took my dog to the beach and I ran into a girlfriend and she was like, Hey, can I, can I walk with you? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of struggling, but like, definitely let's go on a walk. And she was like, well, what, what's going on? You know, like what's actually going on? And so I tell her, I was like, yeah, you know, I just got out of the hospital, like not, not even two months ago. And I just, I, I just feel terrible still. And I, I don't really know how to find help. And she immediately was like, one of my best friends is an eating disorder recovery coach. Like she'll change your life. And I was like, well, that's kind of scary. And that sounds like it costs a lot of money. And, and I was still in like very scarce thinking. Like I don't have enough food. I don't have enough help. I don't have enough this or enough that. 
and uh she was like i'm telling you like i'm just gonna give her your i'm just gonna give her your contact i'm not even gonna give you her contact i'm just gonna give her yours and i'm gonna tell her to call you and i was like okay that sounds good and so two days passed maybe and chloe my coach called me and uh, talked to me for probably an hour hearing my story. And she was like, yeah, you definitely need help. She had been on the same path, um, hospitalized as well. And uh, so I started working with Chloe and I worked with Chloe for four months intensely. Those four months were intense. And my dog passed away during that time as well, which really like what one thing I've learned about recovery and having a long history of an eating disorder is that emotions will fully trigger it because when you're empty, you don't have to feel, you don't have to like address that stuff. And which is kind of how I was like living in my eating disorder. I didn't have to address my emotions. I didn't have to feel stuff. I was like, oh, if I feel full, if I put food in my body, then I feel. So that was, that was a big test of my recovery to have my dog pass away and still wake up in the morning and eat breakfast because breakfast was the hardest. I'll be honest, it still is. And then I, I got through that and I continued to work with Chloe and I started um, around the same time I started writing my experiences and building a website called This Is Hard To Say. And that's really what this project is about. It's about those stories, eating disorders. I mean, I, I would say the main drive for this is disordered eating, raising awareness. Um, I found that people have a very limited understanding of disordered eating and also having that limited understanding promotes issues. It promotes having disordered eating. Diet culture perpetuates it here in America, especially. Um, And obviously we're not the only country struggling with this. And I know that just working with Chloe, like she had more clients in other areas than in the United States. It's a worldwide problem. And I just have such a desire to bring more awareness around it, to teach people it's the nuances, it's the gray areas, it's, it's small ways, it's, it's thinking you can't eat without exercising, it's thinking you have to push your body and exercise every day. Like that's, there's exercise is a part of it. There's body image, body image. When I, when I was going through recovery, I learned that body image is separate than an eating disorder because an eating disorder doesn't really stem from how you think you look. That just ties into it somewhere along the road. It's a pretty big topic to unpack, but my eating disorder stems from trauma. And so this is hard to say also holds those stories, but it also holds the joy and my creative life because I am a graphic designer full time and an artist. And so I also want to share those joys and those wins and those projects and the good things as well. But that's what this project's about. And before I wrap this episode up. I wanted to just read a couple eating disorder statistics. I also have these up on my website. So it's this is hard to say dot me. And I'm just going to read through these. Some of these are pretty shocking. One of the ones that really gets me is that one person dies of an eating disorder every, I think it's 52 minutes. Um, it's a incredibly serious mental illness. Um, it's taken very seriously. And it's a, a lot of almost, I mean, the rate of people with an eating disorder who consider suicide is incredibly high. So with that said, I'll read these statistics. 
9% of the U.S. population, or 28.8 million Americans, will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. Less than 6% of people with eating disorders are medically diagnosed as underweight. It's a pretty low number. And eating disorders are not about weight. Let's just get that clear right now. Eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illness, second to opioid overdose. 10,200 deaths each year are the direct result of an eating disorder. That's one death every 52 minutes. That's pretty heavy. About 26% of people with eating disorders attempt suicide. BIPOC are significantly less likely than white people to have been asked by a doctor about eating disorder symptoms, which, by the way, in my lifetime, I've never in my life had a doctor ask me, and I've for sure been underweight. So if they're not asking me, they're definitely not asking other people. BIPOC with eating disorders are half as likely to be diagnosed or to receive treatment. Gay men are seven times more likely to report binge eating and 12 times more likely to report purging than heterosexual men. Rates of body dissatisfaction were higher among transgender and non-binary youth, which is 90%, compared to cisgender youth at 80%. ADHD is the most commonly missed diagnosis in relation to disordered eating, which makes me think about nutrition. <laughs> Larger body size is both a risk factor for de developing an eating disorder and a common outcome for people who struggle with bulimia and binge eating disorder. Athletes report higher rates of excessive exercise than non-athletes. Athletes are more likely to screen positive for an eating disorder than non-athletes, but percentage across all probable eating disorder diagnoses are similar. Body dysmorphic disorder affects 1-3% to of the overall population, but 13% of male military members and 21.7% of female military members. 35-57% to of adolescent girls engage in crash dieting, fasting, self-induced vomiting, diet pills, or laxatives. In a college campus survey, 91% of the women admitted to controlling their weight through dieting. The most common type of eating disorders among military members is bulimia nervosa. Eating disorders affect at least 9% of the population. And I think that wraps it up. What I have on my posted on my website. I'll be adding to those statistics. Um, again, as I said, we're under educated on this topic. And that includes um, people researching it. I mean, we're all learning more about how we function as humans. And um, I hope one day that they dial in the DSM and actually look at this as a bigger scale and a bigger range of, um, it's not just anorexia or bulimia. We have orthorexia as well, which is uh, um, obsessing over health. It's obsessing over, you know, like, I don't know, this is a bad example, but like rice cakes and uh, nuts and, you know, I'm gluten-free or all these things, like being really specific, eating a ton of veggies and not protein or carbs or fat. And Oh, there's so much to talk about when it comes to this. But um, on my website, I also have a page for resources, which include my eating disorder coach. She goes by Flow with Chloe. I highly recommend her. Um, if you need help, don't wait. Get help. Um, I also have another doctor on here that I really like, Dr. Colleen Reichman. She is a therapist. She has a history of eating disorders, and she is a, 
accessible on social media. Um, they both, both of those people actually have a lot of resources to give and to help. Thank you for being here. You can find me on Instagram and the web. Instagram is at this is hard to say with a period between each word. The website is www.thisishardtosay.me. My more personal and graphic design account is at Chelsea Willett underscore designs. Those will also be in the show notes below. If you want to support this project and podcast, there's a few ways to do so. You can head to my website, click the support button in the top right of the navigation, and that will lead you to how to help. You can also submit your own story anonymously, or you can share who you are. If this podcast spoke to you, it would be so appreciated to subscribe, leave a review, click some stars, and share it with your people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.